You're listening to FIC Resources for Church Leaders. In this episode, you'll hear Tope Colioso, lead pastor at Jubilee Church in Enfield, London, speak at the 2014 FIEC Leaders Conference. He was leading a seminar on how to embed prayer into the life of your church. It's a joy to be able to bring this uh, final talk that time that I have with you to speak on prayer. Um, uh, I was very... Uh, grateful for the way that uh, everybody, you, you guys have just been so good to me everywhere I walk, people have been so kind and so gracious and generous in their comments with regard to the sermons and so on. So uh, we give God all the glory, but I have felt incredibly welcome. You guys have been so responsive, felt so at home. Uh, I am probably one of only two or maybe three black people here. I, well, I don't feel that at all because Jesus Christ and the love of God trumps everything else. And the more we look to him, the less we think about all these other issues. So I have felt thoroughly, thoroughly at home. If the world wants to see the solution to racism, they should come look at our churches. I love what God is doing here, and I thank him so much for it. I'm going to read to you from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1. So you might want to turn to it. It might take you a year to find it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the more tired I get, the more cheeky I get. So, <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint, chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shingyonoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Verse 17, and though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruits be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And he goes on that way. Father, we come to your word. We pray that you would speak to us. We want to learn. Like the disciples who said to you, teach us to pray. We say the same thing. Come teach us to pray that the churches we have the privilege of serving and leading become places of prayer and places of power for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Bible says to us in James chapter 5, it says that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. It carries much power. Our story, when I began to lead uh, in Jubilee Church, uh, for the first 10 years, somebody else was leading. We had moved together to plant the church. Somebody else was leading then. Uh, I can't remember what context I told the story, but from zero to 10 years, we grew to about 80 people, something like that. And uh, somebody else was leading there. And then that person moved on. When he moved on and I reluctantly began to lead, 
um, uh, one of the first things the Lord said to me very clearly was, start a prayer meeting. And, and we already had a prayer meeting. So you feel like saying, Lord, have you not been attending the prayer meeting? <laughs> have you not been attending the prayer meeting? Lord, you know, we tell the people to attend. The least you could do is attend. <laughs> and usually the way that the Lord speaks to me, usually it comes from me. My time of studying the Bible and a familiar verse suddenly becomes a word now for me in that moment. And I just realized that's God speaking to me. And that for me at the, at the most basic level is what I refer to as prophecy. It is the word of God speaking to me. It is not apart from the word of God. It is not instead of the word of God. Neither does any prophetic word trump the word of God. We all bow down to the word of God. But because he is a living God, the living God, he's alive, I do believe that he still speaks to us today. So when I say the Lord spoke, spoke to me, I don't mean by that that I, I am, you know, suddenly, you know, self-aggrandized myself into a certain part, member of the Trinity. I don't mean that. I just mean that he cares enough to speak to mere mortal men with a hint, with a whisper, with a wink through his word. He said to me, start a prayer meeting. And I knew that we had one, but it was very clear to me that he was getting at something else. That whatever it is that we had to that point, it was not hitting the point. It wasn't hitting the mark, the things that he wanted done. So we had a prayer meeting. But I knew that he wanted us to do something deeper. And so we started a prayer meeting and the church, the prayer meeting, I gave my effort, my time to it. I gave my time to preaching and I gave my time to prayer. And, uh, and I, I recruited people to it, and we just revitalized that thing as best we, know, we knew how. And the church began to learn to be a praying church. I never say that we are a praying church, because I think we're just learning. But we began to learn to be exactly that, a praying church. And through the obstacles and challenges and difficulties of the terrain that we would go through that I did not know, if I had known at the beginning what that thing could look like, I'm not sure I would have gone. This is why the Lord probably didn't show it to me. But each step of the way, I knew I had to pray. I had no choice. Dependency was not an option. It was the only way. And so bringing the church along with me to say, let us pray about this, I learned to do that. Until today, we still do that. We have a weekly prayer meeting in the life of the church. We have a monthly one, we have a, and we just do it that way. We're learning to be a praying people. And it's helped us in so many ways. One of the key ways that I have come to see has helped us is I remember walking in one of our auditoriums. We meet in a 15-screen cinema. We used about nine of the screens on a Sunday. And I'm walking through one of them. The service was going on, but it's a long story. But I, I was walking elsewhere. I was going to go back and preach, but I was just walking through. And I walk into one of the ones that was, you might say, like an overflow. The screen is there and so on. And I just went to walk there, greet a few people. And, uh, and the Lord spoke to me in that moment. And he said to me, some things are going to change. And he said, to, and he just explained it to me. You know, when he speaks to me, it's not long words like low parable, uh, parables or paragraphs. It was just so short. And the more I took time to pray into it, he fleshed it out for me. I knew what the Lord was saying to me, that there would be some changes. Out of that, those changes came actually our changes within and our multi-sites. Uh, the point is, I wasn't even praying, Lord, speak to me about the next thing we should do. He just, in that moment, he spoke to me. And I come to the church and I said, you know what? 
I really believe the Lord has spoken to me. We're going to do these things. And the Lord, the church responded. When we went to two services, we announced it one week and the church went to it this following week. I don't recommend you do it that way. (laughs) I don't recommend you do it that way. But we said it and we went into it. And I'm telling you, it just, it, it worked. And that bucked all the trends of all the books. And I'm, again, I'm not saying do it that way. I'm really not. But I am saying that's the way that it worked for us. When we went to multi-site, we said one week we went the next. There's a lot of thinking and planning at the back end. But you announce it to the church and they respond. There's something about leadership, not just me now, but the core of us. The leadership that is sensitive to the spirit. People that are responsive to the spirit and the gospel that becomes so pervasive in the life of the church. For those things to happen and be there, they have to be a people of prayer. There is no substitute for prayer. None at all. The early church prayed. Jesus prayed. The apostle Paul prayed. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. I mean, if you walked around with Jesus, that's, I don't think you would have said that. I think you would have said, teach us how to do miracles. For sure, that's what I would have said. Teach us how to do signs and wonders. He doesn't, they didn't say, teach us to pray. Because they made a link between his prayer life and and the power. We tend to disconnect it. We should not do that. The church, the early church, if the early church prayed, what is it that makes us think that we don't need that? We do. And therefore, we started their prayer. Dependency. Prayer is an indication of dependency on God. Prayer is an indication of humility before God. Prayer is an indication of confidence in God. The centrality of prayer in the life of a congregation is not an, ex- is not an option. It's not an optional extra. It is something that is vital and critical. If it's going to be a church that has longevity in it, and, and, and captures all that Christ wants in his church, it will have to be a church of prayer. I'm saying that because I have been to very large churches that pr- prayer just does, is not on anywhere on, the, on the, uh, their agenda. Well, I'll just repeat what I said. If it's going to be a bona fide church, as Jesus Christ said he wants the church to be, it will have to be a place of prayer. So rearing the young people into a Christianity that is devoid of prayer is wrong. You're setting up the next generation for a Christianity that sees God as just an old relic that we come to sing to. He is a powerful God, and we're supposed to be dependent on him, not just dependent on our good education system, on our NHS, on our government. Parts of the world where they don't have those things, they are dependent on God. For us to have vibrant living prayer meetings, you need a burden. You need a real burden. You don't need, not an artificial one, just something made up. I can tell when people who've never seen real poverty talk about their poor people around the world, but they've never really seen poverty. When you've seen it, your tone changes. The approach changes. And it becomes something welded on the inside of you and the conviction pours forth. And then you have the voice of a shepherd, and then it takes in the life of that congregation. You need a real burden. 
And I will suggest to you that there is much to be burdened about. Look at our society. It has become so decadent, so it is decaying, and in many ways dead, spiritually dead. It is not unusual to find a person who has no idea what you're talking about with regard to Jesus, Bible, all of that. Because the schools have become so foreign, and it seems to me that sometimes other religions have rooms and rights in the schools, but you see anything about Christianity, it becomes very, you know, people don't want to go there. What in the world happened? And it happened on our watch. Happened on our watch. So there's enough for you to be burdened about. Instead of bothering your head about the church roof, there are other things to be burdened about. There are people who live around where you and I live. They may look wealthy and live in big houses and drive large cars. You peel beyond the doors of those homes. You find people who live in lives of quiet desperation. They've learned to numb it with alcohol and with drugs. And their children have learned to numb it with alcohol and with drugs. Just watch television or go on YouTube and see the unsavory way that young British people going abroad on holidays are paraded. It is embarrassing and it is shameful and it is the next generation and nobody's reaching them. At very least, we need to say all our fancy tactics, it's not working. It's not working. The Pipe Piper is leading them all the way to hell on a daily, hourly basis. We cannot just play church as usual. We cannot do that. There is much to be burdened about. Habakkuk says, why do you show me these things, O Lord? It says iniquity is pervasive. It says violence is everywhere. On the streets of my city in London, on the streets of London, just over a year ago, you saw the riots about two years ago. But even after that, you saw a guy take an axe and bludgeon someone to death. On the streets of London, in daytime, broad daylight, with people all around. And then went around encouraging them to film it and put it online. As he murdered an, a completely innocent guy. Not so long ago, a teacher who had been who had taught in the school for 40 years. Think about that. 40 years. One of the students got up and stabbed her to death. For 40 years, she was going to retire in a, a few weeks after. For 40 years, my sons go to a school where one of their teachers, Mr. Gross, has been there for over 40 years. So I know what that looks like. Everybody respects him. I respect him a lot. A lot. And he's a Christian man. And I tell you, it's a boys' school. So many of these boys have gone through his tutelage. This guy is a, an unbelievable Christian witness. He's amazing. I mean, he barely, he, he barely talks to me. He just greets me once in a while when I go there. And anytime I go there, I feel like I'm in trouble, you know. Oh, you know, what have they done? What have the boys done again? You know, I just get my apology speech ready. You know, I ask the boys, have you done anything? They're like, no, dad, I haven't done anything. No, not much. <laughs> not much. You know, and Mr. Gross said, well, you know, and he's talked. This man has said so many of these boys come through him. And he's a righteous man. An older guy, you know, you know the kind, kind of probably went to Oxford or Cambridge. Or the, but he stayed. There's no reason that guy should stay in that school, considering how the demographic has changed. He loves all these boys. 
He loves this. My, when my son was in the school, he's a math teacher. My son used to complain, oh, Mr. Gross did this, Mr. Gross did that. And I just used to yawn because I know my son, I bet it's not that bad. Now my son is in university. The other day he said, oh, dad, Mr. Gross was outstanding. How come Mr. Gross is outstanding? Listen, Mr. Gross so loved those children. He put good things in them. I would not let them get away with bad things. Often he would say to my kids, you should know better. You, you should know better. They feel like Mr. Gross was particularly harsh on them because he knows their father is a pastor. This is why I love Mr. Gross. <laughs> I love Mr. Gross. He helped me raise my kids. <laughs> but I mean that. He helped me raise my kids. Mr. Gross pastored so many kids, so many children. Listen, don't just get your people to just come to church. Affirm them in the work they do out there. But we need a church that prays. Habakkuk says, I see all this violence. I see these things in the street. I see, you know, <coughs> excuse me. Just as it was then, we see these things now. But it's not just out there. It's also in here in the church. There are reasons to be burdened. It will seem that sometimes we don't even know what the gospel is anymore. It will seem that sometimes Jesus is not the center of it anymore. It will seem that we don't even know what the cross stands for. We don't like the cross anymore. We don't seem to, we seem to become so completely confused with regard to sexuality or with regard to marriage or with regard to diversity. There is much to be burdened about. And it was burden that led the early church, weighed them down to their knees to pray. Because they walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They walked with him and everything, and then he is gone. And everything, although he taught them, they just were still a little, you know, disheveled. But you'll walk through how they did everything they did in the book of Acts. You see prayer peppered right through the whole thing. When Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says they were together praying. In Acts chapter 2 verse 1, there's no other way you can interpret what you see there. But there they were together and the Holy Spirit came and tongues of fire and all of that. For me, there's no way you can read that thing without beginning to get the idea that they were seeing something of a prayer meeting. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And so all these people who, after Peter preached, gathered and came together, these people, they came and they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship and to uh, breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. What a line. They devoted themselves. If you had gone amongst them, you would have had to say, these are people of prayer. Is that what people would say of us? These are churches of prayer. These are people of prayer. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, when uh, uh, Peter and John, is it? And they go to the beautiful gate at the hour of prayer. In Acts chapter 4, verse 24, after they've been persecuted and jailed and set free, the Bible says when they came out and they explained everything to the people, the church erupted up in prayer, Acts 4, 24. It says they spoke together, in, they just prayed out together. Oh, sovereign Lord, you who made heaven and earth, look at what they are doing. And now give us boldness that we can go again. And the Bible goes on to say that. And after they had prayed, the place was shaken. That's a prayer meeting. After they had prayed, the place was shaken. Rabbi Zachariah says, we these days, after we have paid, the building is taken. That's how we tend to think. We just tend to, oh, there's a building. How are we going to afford it? How are we going to afford it? They tended to pray through everything. Of course, the practical dimension is there. That goes without saying. 
In Acts chapter 6, you see the apostles saying, okay, the church is growing, things just need attention, but we will not go to do those things. We will give ourselves to the word of God and to prayer. Good shepherds. To the word of God and to prayer. In Acts chapter 12, you see how the Bible says that they were praying earnestly for Peter. Why don't you have to put the word earnestly there? Because it gives you the tone of the prayer meeting, what that thing looked like. Later on in verse 12, I don't think I put down the PowerPoint for you. It says, and so they prayed together. Prayer is critical to the life of any church. It's not just for us to, something that we just need to comply. The Bible says so we need to comply. I'll give you four reasons why we pray. Number one, we pray that we might see the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it says, and so they devoted themselves to prayer. It goes on to say, and so all, there was all. The presence of God was there. That's why there was generosity. That's why all these things were there. But prayer, they were defined by prayer. If there's any prayer point we have in Jubilee Church in our prayer meetings, the prayer point is this. Lord, let your presence be with us. That's the chief prayer point. They all know in the end that's what we're going to pray. We want your presence. Because I know once his presence is there, it, everything works. Every, the, even the lights may go off or whatever. If his presence is there, everything works. Lives really get transformed. But if his presence is not there, you can, no matter how eloquent you may be and all that, doesn't move. Week after week, it just doesn't shift. He's majestic. He's manifest presence. Number two, we pray for his majestic voice. His majestic voice. In Acts chapter 13, you know it well. It says, you know, after there they were praying, the core team as it were, and then the voice came saying, separate for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have set up for them. They heard God's voice. When a church has a prayer meeting, it gets sensitized to the heart of the Father. It will tend to hear what the direction, what God is saying more. It, they just become a prophetic people. They become a prophetic people. Not just that. Number three, we have prayer meetings to get God's manifold wisdom. Again in Acts 13, where it says, separate them out. He's calling them for the work that I have prepared. So now their whole strategy is going to come from God. They are really spirit-filled, spirit-led people. They don't just say the words, spirit, you know, just fill it in. They just, they just know we need to put Holy Spirit in there once in a while. No, they actually mean it, that we can be spirit-led. He can point us. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the mature sons of God. We really can be led by the Spirit of God when the church comes together to pray. When the church comes together to pray. And finally, God's miraculous breakthroughs. You read Acts 13 onwards, you will see how eventually they go out. Uh, Paul and uh, you know, somebody gets miraculously saved, even though they had major opposition, uh, something of almost a demonic nature. And Paul, he speaks a word and someone goes blind and just I mean, things are happening. These are reasons to pray. Now, you could look at all this and say, but you know what? We have prayer meetings. To which I would say maybe like our prayer meeting before and constantly running a risk of becoming back that, there's a difference between a nominal prayer meeting and a fervent prayer meeting. 
there just is. And what you're looking for is to become a fervent prayer meeting. A nominal prayer meeting is one that, although it once had purpose while it started, but actually it has lost its purpose. It has lost its purpose. But the fervent prayer meeting is on purpose. See, the, the, the nominal one, the reason why it's lost its purpose is because, well, they, 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 some crisis in the life of that church that existed at some time prompted them to pray. Some need made them pray. They came together. They really had no other option. But then the problem moves on. The situation changes and things get better and the prayer meeting just wanes. No real purpose. But in the fervent prayer meeting, it's all done on purpose. There is a real clear reason. They have the real burden for it. In the nominal one, they, it, the, the prayer meeting is there, but it's because it's on the calendar. It's just, it's just there. It's on the calendar. And so we do it. It's the next thing to do. But when it comes to the fervent one, it's on the hearts of the leaders. Big difference. It's not just on the calendar. It's on the heart of the leaders. When it comes to the nominal one, it is dependent on church programs. It's dependent on the church program. That is the church. This is the one thing. As a church grows, so many other programs begin to happen. And I'm telling you right now, the first one that leadership tends to fling out the door is the prayer meeting. They just, they just fling it out. The, or, or sometimes in the name of delegation, we delegate you to somebody else who keeps saying we need to pray. Yeah, let, just let them lead it. Let them lead it. Put it in the back corner somewhere. It's gone. So the prayer meeting is dependent on the program. Anything else is going on, shut it down. But in a church where it's fervent, where the prayer meeting is fervent, the programs depend on the prayer meeting. Everything is prayed about, like really prayed about, not just whispered about. They come before the Lord about it. When it comes to nominal prayer meetings, the leaders, the, the, you know, they just find whoever is available to lead it. Whoever is available leads it. But in the fervent prayer meetings, the leaders lead it. They are there. They have not just delegated it off, and they don't just talk about it. They don't just say, we really ought to pray more. They turn up. Massive difference. They turn up. In the nominal one, the focus tends to be on us, on the church, on the fellowship, on the things we need. It's on the church's agenda and personal agenda. But in fervent prayer meeting, it's on kingdom agenda. Very, very different take. Kingdom agenda. One of the reasons I really, I think, one of the reasons I really click with um, uh, John is the kingdom mindset that he has. I will always click with a kingdom mindset at a person as opposed to just a church mindset at a person. We must all realize the kingdom is larger than the church. And when you have a kingdom mindset, you're happy, you want to work with everyone for the, for the kingdom advance. And you learn to let secondary issues be secondary, primary issues be primary, because the primary issue is a person, Jesus. Maybe finally, nominal prayer meetings tend to be, would you believe it, boring. They are just boring. The reason people don't go is because they are boring. But fervent ones are fervent. It's alive. 
You just know something, something, no matter how small, something will happen. You know, something will happen. <laughs> the good news is this, you can change. You can change. Now, I'm going to pause for a second. I just want to ask sweet Abby. Are you okay there, Abby? Ah, okay. Well, I just wanted that to be up for you so that, because I see some of you taking notes, and I think that that might be, that might be helpful for you. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about is this, the fact that you can change. You can change your prayer meeting. But it will require, number one, conviction. It will require conviction. It will require your conviction. You have to have internal conviction about it. That, again, I don't mean by this you have a good theology about it. We all have a good theology of prayer, hopefully. I think we all do. Our problem is not theology. Our problem is practice. And so practice really comes out of conviction. You don't eat because you have a good theology. You eat because I'm, I'm hungry and I know I'll die if I don't eat. So I, yeah, that's what drives. In the end, prayer needs to be like that. People who hunger and thirst after righteousness don't just go around committing sins. They hunger after something else. You have to have real deep conviction about it. Secondly, you have to have a unified leadership concerning this. That at some point you sat down with the leadership and said to them, we have to do this. We have to be about this. This has to be critical. This is, this is, we're not, we're, we can't toy with this. For us, we shut down a whole bunch of stuff because of the prayer meeting. Not just that. None of our people who lead departments can just set up a meeting with their people. No. You, you just have to check it with Dave. And Dave has the church calendar. Because if we don't do that, a thousand meetings will be happening all over the place. The last thing people will go to is the prayer meeting. And that is priority. So all the leaders were there. And we set it, things up in such a way that you can be there if you want to. That no meeting is going to clash with that. And everybody gets it. We also have it at the same time so people just know it's the default. That's the time. And then we need to teach about it. You need to teach the people on prayer. Not just to explain it. Let's start there. Not just to encourage them. Let's do that. But to help them see that this is the way that things get done in the kingdom. This is the way. And encourage them and infuse them and be passionate about it. And talk about your own personal prayer life. When you got it right, when you didn't get it right. And be real brutally honest about where the position of things are, but where we can go. And give a realistic next step to the people. And encourage them to come. And listen to this. Recruit them to it. It's what I did at the beginning. I just walked around. I did, there were a handful of people that I know they can pray. I can just, I know. I just guess. I decide they can pray. So I go to them and say, would you, would you help me? It's on Saturdays. Would you help me? Just come. Say, well, I work sometimes. I'll take the ones, the Saturdays you are not working. Which Saturdays are they? <laughs> yeah, so that they're tied into this. And they come. And I help them. You know, I'm, when you get there, I'm going to start off with a few words. But when we start praying, I want you to please pray out. Don't just pray small prayer. Pray out. Because many of the people who can pray, we have, well, we run the risk of inadvertently saying to them, we don't want you praying out. In fact, we don't, you know, we stifle it down. Because when they do it, it just, you know, it disturbs the whole thing. 
you know, it's just not, it's not conducive. It's not conducive. Well, there's a cost there. So I'm, I'm big. I say things to them like, if you make a mistake or something goes funny, I can clean it up. Because most people I know don't want to mess things up. And so I have to encourage them, I will clean it up. But you bring whatever the Lord has placed on your heart and pray. And pray for this nation and pray for this and so on. And then uh, a team. You need a team. I've just kind of spoken about that to recruit people to it, a team. And then finally, it takes time. <coughs> Excuse me. So sorry about that. It does take time. Because you're trying to grow something organically. You're not just trying to make it happen and paste it on. And things take time to grow. So don't be upset that this thing is taking time. It does take time. I actually think as a leader, it takes about 18 months to change some aspect of the culture of a church. It takes between 12 to 18 months to be really seriously at it for that culture to shift. It's a shame I don't have time and I have to dash I will have spoken to you a little bit about culture, church culture, and working it through, shifting it, and all of that. Anyway, how then does one lead a vibrant prayer meeting? Let me give you a few points on this before I move on. Is everybody okay here? Because the only people talking are those coughing, and I'm one of them. Number one, set the atmosphere. And what I mean by that is, uh, any of you can do this because this happens here anyway. Okay, but set the atmosphere. There's nothing profound in these seven points I'm going to give you. Number one, set the atmosphere. That is, you let the people know the day. What I would do, I would, I would periodically teach on, preaching, on prayer in, uh, in our church. Especially when we're going to launch into a new season, new era, new whatever. One of those first sermons is going to be on prayer. And I'm going to encourage and recruit a whole bunch of people again to the prayer meeting. But when they come, imagine it's a handful of people. It could be anything. I don't know. Let's just say, you know, 20 people maybe. Um, I like to set the atmosphere. I love an atmosphere of acceptance and of grace and of no pretension. Okay? Just an authentic atmosphere. And it's a fun, joyful atmosphere. Now, as, as, as you know, simple as that sounds, so many churches don't do that. The atmosphere is either so, you know, concretized and so, you know, it's so legalistic somehow. And so people come and they have their way, they do the thing. And so you get the feeling we don't, we don't talk much here or there's a way we do, the, you know. I, don't, I'm, I have nothing against order. Do all things decently and in order. But there can be joy in that thing, in the way that you do it. Where it's us. No pretentiousness. It's just us. So even to walk in, I don't even like benign atmospheres. You know, somebody will have come in earlier on to set that place up. We have tea and coffee because this is England. You have to do that or else people would die. They would die. So I have tea and coffee. You know. And uh, there will probably be some music in the background, albeit light Christian music, not Beyonce. You know. <laughs> I didn't think you guys would know who in the world Beyonce is. <laughs> you astound me. <laughs> you know, some kind of Christian music would be in the background. Just because there's something very lifting about songs that people know already, and it's playing the background. It just helps a little bit. 
a benign atmosphere, you're taking this thing, they're walking into a level zero. How are you going to lift that thing up from zero? Just something light in the background is helpful. I'm trying to make this as practical as I can. I can make you far more spiritual if you want, but I think it's the practice that people miss. So somebody comes as a little tape recorder that with a preset song that I have pre-validated, and they play it. And it's just there. People walk in. It's a one-hour prayer meeting, so I'm describing our weekly one here. It's a one-hour prayer meeting, and uh, it is one hour. It will not go beyond that. And actually, we're really praying for not full one hour. Because I probably won't start till about five past eight. Uh, we've had to change the days we do it. Now we do it on a Friday evening, five past eight or ten past eight. But people are coming, and uh, they, everybody else who is there can see that, you know, it's going to start soon. And so the people will come, and I will walk around the room. This is what has to do with setting the atmosphere. I will walk around the room and greet people and talk to people. So how, are you, how was that job? Da, 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 da. And, uh, now, on Sunday, sometimes I will tell them, you know, when I was in the prayer meeting yesterday, just speaking with such and such, people were thinking, oh, you want to get to speak to him? Come to the prayer meeting. <laughs> yeah. I walk around and greet the people, and I shepherd the flock in, that, in those moments. I'm actually really a shepherd at heart. I'm not, just, I'm not a preacher, international, whatever. I'm just a shepherd at heart. I walk amongst them. And I hear their testimonies and their concerns. Great. Five past eight and so on, I'm going to come start the prayer. But the point is, I have set the atmosphere. It's a grace-filled, Christ-loving atmosphere. <clears throat> and that's important. Number two, you need to exhort the saints. <coughs> Excuse me. You need to exhort the saints. That is, I'm going to have some Bible verse or some Bible portion I'm going to bring. And it will not be something like, and Jesus committed, uh, Judas committed suicide. Or so. It's not going to be anything like that. It's not going to be something weird. It's not going to be, you know, some idea from some place. It's not going to be something obscure from the book of Revelation. It's going to be something that is God-focused. It's going to be something Christ-centered. It's going to be something uplifting. It's going to be even something that they probably already have known, heard before, a popular verse, or it'll be something like that. And I would say something about that verse. I would spend like five minutes saying something about that. Now, that five minutes, what I call a sermonette. Sermonettes are for Christians who smoke cigarettes. (laughs) That, (laughs) I shouldn't have said that, sorry. (laughs) That, that small little sermonette takes time to prepare. This idea you can just wing it is silly. You can't. You're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> In case no one has told you, I'll tell you. You're not as good as you. You know, get over yourself. Get on your knees. Think it through. Pray it through. Say, Lord, show me something in this verse that I haven't seen before. There's, there's something about a, some, a person in front who speaks out of a burden and conviction. That just helps. It takes. So I think that thing through. And by the way, train the people you're training into these things. Or else you train them into bad habits. So you exhort the saints. So good morning, everybody. Oh, evening, everybody comes. You know, and uh, now you need to know we have a church culture which I instituted. And I'm glad, you know, one of the few things I got right that I will come to the front on a usual Sunday morning, I'll say, good morning, Jubilee, and they will say, good morning. I taught them that many years ago from the outset. Uh, I would just come, and now you think, well, that goes without saying. 
nothing goes without saying, so I say it. You know, I taught them that, and I made them understand the beautiful thing of greeting one another. And so they have it in there, some, almost like a value that we have. Good morning, Jubilee. Good morning, they say. Well, when I come in, good evening, Jubilee. Good, mo- good evening, they say. Well, that thing just helps raise again. It gives the sense of we're one and together when we speak at the same time like that. It is not confusing or a problem. All of that, I'm trying to talk about exalting the saints. And then I share a few verses. You know, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, it was like a dream. We were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. They said among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Indeed, the Lord has done great things for us. How many of you were there last Sunday? You were there, you were there. Which bit did you like the best? Yeah? Was it, you know what? I was just so blessed. I heard at the end, actually, somebody responded to the gospel. Somebody responded there and somebody speaking to them. We prayed about this last week. God did it this week. It's like a dream that all these things that the Lord is doing. Isn't God good? God is good. Let's stand. Now, it's something like that that I would do. But it's uplifting. I just quoted Psalm 126 to you. It's uplifting. It's what it's there. It captures what God has done and it captures the scriptures and it, it just lifts the hearts of the people. And then we go and then we say, let's stand up. And then usually we will take the chairs away. And, uh, and so, okay. And then number three, we start with worship. <coughs> Sorry. Okay. So invite people to worship. That when we come together, that I will, and then people, chairs are apart, and I just say, come on, let's just begin to just thank God for what he does. And so they begin to, and then I'll lead them into a song. And, and, and I, would not, I would not lead them into the most complicated song requiring some fancy. We have no instruments. I would just lead them in a chorus or so. You know, I worship you, almighty God. Da, 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 da. You are my righteousness, I give you praise for you. All right. They know the song, songs that they know. They don't need to look for the words or anything. No PowerPoints, none of that. Because those things become a kind of distraction and sets people off on a church Sunday morning mode, which is not what we're after here. We're camaraderie thing. So we don't know how any of that. It's just real raw and simple and old school. And so we have songs, we'll sing a song. Somebody else will raise a song, I will have said something about that at the beginning. You know, and if there's a song, you know, while we're just singing to the Lord, you, might, you have a song, you can just raise a song. But that's risky. What if they raise a song nobody knows? Well, that happens once in a while. You know what? It's not the end of the world. You'll be amazed how many things are not the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not the only leaders think things are the end of the world. They're not. So it happens and nobody knows it. Finish. Okay, fine. Then we'll sing one that we do know. So I, 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 it is raw, and I like it, that raw. I, I like an atmosphere where people feel they can make a mistake, and then they can be helped and taught and go forth. So we have short uh, choruses as we go forth. And, um, okay, next thing, then Thanksgiving. And we'll worship for a while. You know what? Let us just thank God for what happened last Sunday. Come on, lift up your voice. Now, at that point, I am saying to them, lift up your voice together. Not necessarily one after the other one. There's nothing wrong with that. All forms of prayers uh, are accepted in the scriptures. But there's something about together. In Acts 4.24, it says, and they lifted their voice together. That it, there's a dynamic and a flow that happens in those moments where they learn to pray. Most people, 
will not contribute in a prayer meeting because they are so self-aware and they will get something wrong. Once the, once the level of the decibel raises slightly, they just be, everybody's praying. And it doesn't have to be loud. Nobody has to shout. But it's just, it's lifted. And I'm telling you, you're teaching them how to pray. Just to get, God can hear everybody at the same time. So don't worry about that. No, but, but don't worry about that. Uh, uh, sometimes we run the risk of being too silent in our churches. The Bible says, shout to the Lord. Make a voice, uh, you know, a shout of triumph unto the Lord. Um, uh, that is important. It has a way of burning out certain cobwebs that hold people bound. I'm telling you. Well, and so we would have time of just thanking the Lord and so on. And as they raise, they raise their voices together, and the, at some point, you know, as it's just coming down, I would say, and by the way, this also happened last Sunday. Let us just give thanks to the Lord for that. You know, Jesus once gave a parable where he healed people. Only one came back, the lepers. You know it well. To which he said, where are the other nine? The lesson there is, so many things he does, and we don't come back to say thank you. But we do have our prayer requests. No, no, no. We come and we say thank you to him. And so you pepper it right through. You know, the prayer meeting, as a shepherd, you are, you are, you are discipling the sheep in those moments. You're not just doing a meeting. You're discipling them, and we're coming before God at the same time. Number five, real quickly, intercession. Then you're going to lead them into intercession. This is where we're going to pray for situations everywhere. And if there's one word I think of when I think of intercession, it's the word travail. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about this. Travail. You're wanting people to really labor in prayer and travail. This really, in many ways, becomes the heart of the bringing your request before him, intercession. And in travailing, you're talking here about, I'm not talking about going weird, I'm not talking about just raising up the decibels just to make it sound impressive. Like, oh, God, we're really coming to you now. Oh, okay, calm down. You know, I'm not talking about gesticulation. I grew up, you know, in Africa when Africans pray. Look, you may have concerns about their theology. You're never going to outpray them. Because those people pray. I grew, basically grew up in prayer meetings. And so when they get at it, when they're praying to God, it's, it really is something. Everybody is, is coming before the Lord. I love those moments because I feel the New Testament prayer meetings will have been something like this. There's an, the atmosphere changes and God becomes so real to them, so real to them, so much so that faith gets so lifted, they just believe what the Bible says, there is nothing he cannot do. They really come to believe it. However, you're always going to get somebody in those African meetings who is praying, ah, ah, and he's shouting, calm down, Lord, and it's almost like he's fighting a kung fu. You feel like, would you calm down? <laughs> would you calm down? He's got all these gesticulations going and all of that. You know, you feel like, oh, my goodness me. God, please calm down just to quiet this guy. <laughs> you know? Oh, would you rend the heavens and calm down? <laughs> Mark chapter 1, verse 10. Um, well the point about travail is it does it is very involving though though. because you think of the word travail you think of a woman with in with a child pregnant with a child and going to give birth 
That's where the word comes from. Isaiah talks about this a lot. And so it is you and I having been burdened about situations, been impregnated by the Holy Spirit to say he wants you to take responsibility for that thing. And so you've, been con- you've conceived, you've been impregnated by it, you're carrying this burden. You're carrying this burden. Coming to the prayer place is the place where you come to deliver and discharge the burden. And so this thing naturally involves a degree of righteous indignation. And it leads to you in crying out to God. It it will inevitably lead to a, a lifting of the voice. But it's not just lifting of the voice for effect. It's lifting of the voice because the process of travailing looks this way. I have two children and they were both very naturally born, not by um, a cesarean section. There is a degree of lifting of the voice involved. There are gesticulations involved. There are gestures, one or two of them, not altogether very Christianly involved. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> and so it's not, if you come to our monthly prayer meeting, our night prayer meeting, in fact, I, I, I don't like to invite visitors to that because we are going at it. It is not led in a, it's not so front led, so in such a heavy way, and yet it's orderly. But there will be a number of people there, you know, I don't know, something like 100, 150, maybe a little more than that. It will be something about that kind of number, and we're going at it, and we're going before God. We will worship extensively, and then when prayer point comes, I say, come on, lift your voice and pray. And people are crying out to God. And it does involve a degree of gesticulation, a degree of the, you know, uh, the voice lifts and so on. Well, you do whatever you need to do to be free before the Lord. That freedom before the Lord, sometimes we just haven't quite gotten that. And I'm not saying uh, until you do that, you, this is not real prayer. Of course it's real prayer. Some of the most powerful prayers that ever happened, happened with someone sitting down desperately saying, Oh Lord, would you come? And he came. But the Bible gives us different prayers, supplication, petitions, all of that. There is also intercessions. And in there, we begin to make our requests. We will also uh, make our requests before the Lord and just bring our, whatever it is on our house to him. And so travail involves bringing it to him and watching him frankly begin to break those problems down. And he does. And a time comes that you feel relief from that thing. Let me say this to you real quickly. It's not just about church prayer meetings, everything I'm teaching you. God forbid, but you have a child that goes astray. He's not walking with the Lord. In fact, he's walking with the enemy. You realize as a mother, you can do all you want, all the phone calls, all the pleading, and all the forcing, and all the threatening as a father. In the end, you're going to have to come to God and pray him back into the kingdom. Go to the Lord who said, I will whistle and call your children back. It's a, there are situations in that God puts on your own heart for you to pray about. How long do you pray this prayer of burdens and so on? Well, until the burden is discharged. And you go through seasons, actually, where after a while it comes back strong in you. We really should be praying about this. Well, you do it again, and then it abates for a season. It's just like the woman who is having contractions for a bit, and it goes, and comes, and it goes. And you don't just ignore those things. They are the promptings of the Spirit saying, and I'm waking you to pray for this. Well, let me move on to the next one. Could you give me the next one? I can't remember what order. there. Make way for prophetic words. Well, <coughs> I would say that's really 
for us in our church family, I'm a part of New Frontiers. We are reformed and we're charismatic and so on. And you know what? Before I move on, what are we praying for under intercession? Number one, we're praying for the world internationally. We're praying then nationally. I bring it back home nationally. What we're praying for situations here. And then we come all the way in. Now we're praying for our city, our surroundings. And finally, we're praying for our church. And the key thing I'm praying for the church is let your presence come. I just know if his presence is there, I could could preach a really dumb sermon that just, you know, is biblically accurate, but not inspiring, and God will move. The atmosphere doesn't get set on Sunday morning. It gets set when we do our prayer meeting. We are praying for Sunday. We're praying, Lord, bring those who do not know you. We're praying, and having brought them, Holy Spirit, will you convict them of righteousness, judgment, and so on. All of these things we're praying about. And he does it. He is the Lord of the, of the harvest. Okay, now, uh, make way for prophetic words. For us, I think I'd said a few things already about prophetic words. But what we're saying here is looking that as we pray, people just feel the Lord is laying things on their heart. And they will say, and they will not come and say with any kind of touting or forceful way. Our people are taught that's, we don't, it doesn't have to look like that. But in fact, they're even taught, you know, we, we know in part and we prophesy in part. And so very often it looks something like this. Like I just feel that the Lord is laying on my heart that as we're praying for this, that he, and it will be something really simple. I just feel as we're praying for this, the Lord reminded me of a portion in the Bible that such and such and such. And that prayer, that, that, that prophetic word actually helps us. It turns us to scripture and it turns us to prayer. It never gets weird. It need not get weird. Do all things decently and in order, Paul says. We, we intend to obey the scriptures in that. I'm trying to say this to you because very often you will find the Lord is ministering and is speaking to you. Not just that it is prophetic when it's preaching, but even in everyday life. If we will say we want to listen to you, Lord, then he will speak. But if we say you've already spoken and we're done, then um, and that's that. In the end, he gives the prophetic word, we give the prayer. We, we give the prayer. The prayer is all ours. The power is all his. So we go to him. And the whole thing is being pointed at Jesus. He is the focal point. He is the power point. He is the peace point. He is the prayer point. He is the whole point. And everybody knows it. Okay. Next, some final one there. Pray for personal situations. And then we will pray for personal situations. We will say, Lord... You know, I have walked around the room just before then, listening to situations. People email and write prayer points on cards. Uh, every Sunday, people fill out prayer points. We gather those prayer points. We uh, homogenize them. And we pray, can we pray for healing? Can we pray for this? Can we pray for that situation? And then for, in closing, we will pray for salvation on Sunday. That people will come, make a response to the gospel. And we go that way. That is how we run our prayer meetings. I have sought this morning to just... I'm sorry I've rushed a little bit. I hope it's been helpful, but I've sought to just walk you through the importance of prayer, the manifold wisdom of God, and everything else that comes through that. The results will be this, if you would do it. The church becomes far more unified, a unified church. 
who said, I think D.L. Moody said, uh, you know, a family that prays together stays together. Same thing with the church. The church is a family. You'll be surprised how unified the church becomes. It's easier for the leaders to lead it. Not just that, the church becomes purified. I shared with you yesterday in one of the contexts how a couple came to say that we're not living right. What I didn't say to you is four different couples in the space of about three months came up to me to say that all of them knew to the church, all of them wanted to put their lives right, and I wasn't even preaching about sexual immorality. Two of those people have now, we've taken care of them, and uh, they've gotten married. Spoke to them, gave their life to Christ, tidied their lives up, get them married. Church even helped pay for some of those things. And I'm not even preaching about that. Because the Holy Spirit, if the church is a praying church, he says, my house will be known as a house of prayer for the nations. Not just as a house of preaching, as a house of prayer. Not just as a house of tea and coffee, as a house of prayer. So he's purifying the people. I mean, 21st century, why in the world would people come confessing their sins? Why would they come? I mean, it still baffles me. But I thank the Lord for what he's, what he's doing. The church becomes purified. The church becomes faithful. Because it's keeping kingdom agenda at the very heart of everything that they do. The church keeps, becomes powerful. That is, preaching becomes energized. The people become very sensitized to the Holy Spirit. And the power of Jesus Christ becomes realized. Powerful salvation, powerful miracles. I do believe in those things, and we do see them. Not as much as I want, but that is no reason for me to change my theology. I believe he still does those things. And then finally, you begin to see growth because we pray for growth. We unashamedly pray for growth. I remember I was in some context, a pastor came to me and said, about growth, you know. Uh, I said, you know, how do you get the, I said, well, do you guys pray for growth? He said, well, you know, we don't kind of like pray for growth. You just, uh, I said, well, why are you complaining then? <laughs> don't complain. You don't pray about it, so why are you complaining? Spurgeon said, one of his students said, how do you get people to give, respond to the gospel? At the end of the, you know, when I preach, they don't seem to respond to gospel. gospel. Spurgeon says to him, what, are you expecting them to just, when you finish preaching, to just respond? He said, oh, no, I'm not expecting I said, well, there you go then. That's why they don't. We have to pray for it. We have to say, Lord, bring them. Holy Spirit, bring them here. Blow your wind, whisper, bring them. Let all these seats that are empty be filled with people who do not know you, that they may come to know you. You cry out to the Lord like that and pray, and the Lord sees your heart. That it's not just so that you can go to the next conference and say, yeah, we have this many people. Don't, don't play that stupid game. Be clean with the Lord. Be authentic with the Almighty, and he will come meet you. How does a church grow? It's the same way you plant a plant. That's how you plant a church. This is how you plant it. On your knees. That's how you plant a plant. It's the same way you plant a church. It's history. You get on your knees and put it down. And then you water it. You look after it. It takes time. But you stay faithful as well. And in the end, the good shepherd makes it all work. May God bless you so much. Thank you. I've loved being here. To God be the glory for all he's doing amongst you. I pray that one day I will be allowed to come back. <laughs> Despite the fact that I have broken, broken some protocols. Jesus, we thank you so much. I love these brothers, and they know and love you. I pray, Father, that you will just help us to reach this nation and beyond, all for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless, brothers. Thanks for listening to this resource from FIEC. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.
And don't miss our new podcast launching this autumn, Independence. It will feature regular discussions on relevant topics to help independent churches work together to reach Britain for Christ. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or watch on YouTube and the FIEC website.